At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 307th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is actively making a difference tackling food issues in his community. We're talking with Steve Knight about gleaning for his community. Steve taught high school science for 40 years and then retired. He spent the past few summers teaching chemistry for Upward Bound at University of Maine at Farmington. But what he is excited about is he started a volunteer organization called Central Maine Gleaners Group. In the first three years, Steve and 15 volunteers have gleaned over 21,000 pounds of food from seven local farms and backyards, and then he gives the food to various food pantries in his area. How cool is that? So welcome to the show today, Steve. Are you ready to rock? Absolutely. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I grew up in Connecticut, and I went to university in, in North Carolina. And after university, I was in the Peace Corps in Benin, West Africa. Oh, cool. That's where I met my wife. Wow. After that, we worked for a few years at a private school in Switzerland, and we were able to save everything. And we took a year off, bicycled across the country. Wow. Upon our return, my wife went to college in Maine, so we moved to Maine, and we both have been teaching and doing educational stuff since then. Cool. So you jumped into this gleaning project. Tell me that story. Well, I've always been a, a saver. You know, I taught how to do this in Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. Growing up, my parents were both Horatio Algers. I was taught not to waste. For example, my dad, to his credit, at one point, I wasn't turning the lights out when I left my bedroom, so he took the light bulb out of my fixture. Oh my gosh, well, that'll teach you, huh? Yeah, about a week or so, no big deal. That's what you do. You take care of what you need and don't waste. So you mentioned Horatio Alger. For our listeners out there that don't know who that is, can you kind of fill them in? Horatio Alger is a person 
who not necessarily by themselves, but principally by themselves, makes themselves a better life. My dad grew up in Selma, Alabama, mm -hmm. and he put himself through college, and he put himself through graduate school, and he ended up with a PhD in paper chemistry. My mom, she grew up outside of Boston. Likewise, in the 60s, she got a PhD, which for women in the 60s was pretty impressive. Wow, no kidding. Education has made a huge difference in both of their lives. So Horatio Alger is someone who really stands up and says, this is going to happen because I said so no matter what. Yes. I like that. They push through obstacles and it's not always easy and they're successful. Nice. So you're retired and you're sitting at home one day and you just come up with this idea that you're going to set up this gleaning program and start gleaning from seven farmers in backyards? No, I've been thinking about it for a long time. I have recently seen, I think like three years ago, I recently saw a documentary called Just Eat It, which is out of Vancouver, British Columbia. They convinced a young couple as volunteers to dumpster dive for six months. And it was quite eye-opening of how much food we waste. We waste 40% of what we harvest. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> that 40% of what we harvest, that's probably just from the field to the store? Or it could be just what's left on the field. In that movie, there's a very telling episode where they're harvesting celery. The celery that grows in the field is roughly, I'm guessing, six inches across and probably two feet tall. Uh-huh. So the workers come along and they slice it off with a machete. They peel off the outer leaves, I guess, stalks, and then they slice it again and slice it again. And then they put the heart, which is now three inches across and a foot tall, on the conveyor belt. And I remember at the end of all this, because the extra stalks are all littered all over the field, the farmer comes along and he literally just leans down, picks up this whole armful of celery stalks. He said, Boy, these would make great ants on a log treats. Peanut butter and raisins on celery. Peanut butter and raisins on celery, yes. So that was an impactful moment for you. Yes, that movie was. And, and there was a scene where they had, they were looking at a dumpster. And the dumpster was one of those big dumpsters. It's 10 feet across and probably 20 feet long. It was mounded over with packaged hummus that still had a month on its expiration date. Wow. So they got a whole bunch. And they gave a whole bunch away, and they ate a whole bunch. So I guess it was cheaper to throw it away than to give it away. Yeah. So tell everybody what the word gleaning means. It's an after-harvest harvest where the farmer is done with the field. Mm -hmm. They can't. It's not worth it. They've typically gone through the field once or twice with paid workers. It's not worth it for them to pay their workers to go back through the field for what they're going to harvest. So I get a hold of them or they get a hold of me and I e-blast out to my volunteers mm -hmm. and I set up a date and I set up a time and I e-blast them directions to the farmer's place and we show up and work a couple hours and take what we have and we bring it to the food pantries. Wow. So the actual term gleaning basically means you're going to collect something that somebody else is throwing away, right? Correct. Yes, it is. In, in Israel, it's the law. The farmers have to glean. They have to leave. When they plow a field, they have to kind of round the corners. They can't go into the corners, and they have to leave the corners so that the local people can go in and, and gather some of the harvest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's from the Leviticus, Ruth in Leviticus in the Bible. I know that the Jewish faith also, there's a term for it. I'm not coming up with it, but leaving that 10% for the members of the community. 
that need it. Yeah. All right, great. So you've got this background now and you've thought through this and you're inspired. What happened? What was your next step once you got inspired? Where did you go? How did you do this? There's a group of people that have similar thoughts to me and we get together occasionally and we've been talking about this. Three years ago, one of the people said, we've been talking about this for 10 years. Let's try to do something about uh-huh. it. So I said, great. Let's do something about it. And I've spent some time finding out, connecting with other people that are working on these ideas. There's a food topic in Maine right now is food security or food insecurity or um, food deserts, if you will. And they're trying to close the gaps for people who need food Mm -hmm. and don't necessarily have the resources to need good food, that is don't have the resources to go out and buy the food. Right. Because part of this is also an education piece. Tell me about that. It's been my experience that younger people, on average, don't cook. They've gone away from cooking. Because I can remember 55 years ago Mm -hmm. when I was 10 years old, and we got Swanson TV dinners. Oh, yes. Oh, and Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes. And that was such a treat. Such a treat. Maybe not even once a month. I don't, my sisters could clarify that. But it was such a treat. And we got to watch it in front of TV. And that now, unfortunately, is kind of becoming the norm. I think we have to question the idea of what food is. Amen to that. What's appropriate food? I also, I'm my church's representative at the local, at the Winthrop Food Pantry. And we get, for example, two years ago, we got a whole pallet of whole wheat penne. Not a carton, not a box, a whole pallet of it for free. Wow. And people wouldn't eat it. They didn't choose it. Our director is a gourmet cook. <laughs> she cooked it up with butter and garlic. It was a butter and garlic delivery system, and she stuck some toothpicks in it, and people still didn't eat it because they wanted this particular type of pasta. So we have to educate people about what's better food for you. Yeah, and so it sounds like a big piece of what you're up to is that education as well as the gleaning part. Yes, and there's a distribution part, and there's a spoilage part, Mm -hmm. because we've been, this year, this is my third summer doing this, and we're in the enviable position this summer, is we're learning about all the pinch points downstream. Ooh, say more about pinch points and downstream. For example, about a month ago or so, we had the opportunity, and my group and another group from the Kennebec County Jail went to a particular field, and we, we harvested, we gleaned green beans. Mm-hmm. And they must have gotten two or three hundred pounds of green beans. And there were six trustees, jail trustees who were working. Wow. They got probably, I would say, they filled the whole bin. So I'm saying a thousand pounds of green beans, which is great. But then you're sitting there and go, okay, what are we going to do with a thousand pounds of green beans? What do we do with it? We've learned from our mistakes. So we're finding places that we can deliver them to because I have roughly a 50 mile radius from my house that I work with. Uh-huh. Different food pantries are open on different days. So I have a list. If I have a bunch of stuff, I want to go to a food pantry. I, I know I can't go to Winthrop because they're not open on Fridays, for example, or I would go to Lewiston because they are open on Fridays. But then so it's just a a matter of getting acquainted and knowing what's what's working and so forth. So a pinch point, a place where a challenge shows up? Yeah, such as storage. One piece I've been working on this past year is I have organized over $10,000 of grant money from various organizations. And my Winthrop Food Pantry was able to build a walk-in cooler at a nearby farm. 
Wow. So it's about 10 by 10 by 8 room, well-insulated room with a um, cool bot, which is a device that tricks an air conditioner to get cold. Mm -hmm. And it's been wonderful because I delivered 600 pounds of apples and they didn't have to sit out in the warm. They could go into the cooler and stay for a long time, stay fresh for a long time. So really you're building infrastructure to be able to collect and deliver food that you, you know, you get from the farms to the food pantries. Most of the food pantries I deliver to are small town. They're open one day a week. So I've, I've gotten to be friends with the Lewiston Food Pantry, and they're open four days a week, but they serve 600 families a week. So it was really funny for me, fun. Not funny, but fun for me because I got 600 to 700 pounds of apples and I went down and said, here, I got some apples. Whoosh. It was just like a vacuum. <laughs> they just sucked them up and they were out the door. Yeah. They went out the door that same day. It was pretty fun to have that happen. It wasn't wasted. Yeah. So tell me, how does that make you feel? Makes me feel great. I've never, because I've been in this area since the late 70s, so I know everybody. I've taught in this area. We bought a house in 1983, so I, all my friends, most of my friends are retired, so I hug and nudge them and say, hey, what are you doing? And it is a totally volunteer organization. Uh -huh. And some people ask me, what are you doing in your retirement? So I tell them and I give them my business card. It's fun for me because not one person has said, boy, that's a bad idea. That's really dumb. <laughs> and not one person. Not, not even people I don't even know. Right. It's very self-affirming. It's a great, what a great idea. Can I help? And of course I say, absolutely. Yeah. That's just got to make you feel great, huh? Yeah. Cool. So you mentioned apples, you mentioned green beans, you mentioned celery. Is there one thing out there, one, one instance that happened that, you know, it's like it just moved you where you were harvesting something? This particular summer, the one that was the most inspirational, if you will, it was a new farmer. He was pretty hesitant at first about gleaning. We moved, I worked with the inmates again, and we moved, they, I had like a thousand pounds of cabbage and they had probably close to 3,000 pounds of cabbage. And we actually moved it and harvested it and moved it to various places. And I, I think not very much of it was wasted. Good take. Obviously, the food pantries have been open to this. Like, I can't guarantee that every Tuesday I'm going to arrive with well, of course. 200 pounds of apples. And they're okay with that. It's always a bonus. It's all a bonus. Nice. So this project, this is a really cool project and it sounds like, you know, you've made good headway. In fact, I am a big, big believer that projects like this get done because somebody says so. And it sounds to me, Steve, like you were that person that said so on this. So congratulations on that. You got any other great projects you're getting started on? Yes. In one of my food security meetings, probably a year and a half ago, I bumped into an organization called Community Ecologically Based Economy. It's out of Norway, Maine, and it's run by Scott Blon, a whole bunch of other people. But they have this project called Edible Main Street. And instead of putting flower boxes all up and down Main Street, I've built veggie boxes. And you build boxes and they're roughly a little bit bigger than the size of a hay bale. Because you put a hay bale in it, then you cover it with six or eight inches of soil. Right. Then you plant chard and cherry tomatoes. Peppers didn't work. 
this is my second summer. Peppers didn't work. And you go and please and thank you to a lot of the store people, and they actually take care of them. I zip through every once in a while, but they do most of the work with that. My response at the end of the second summer is I'm building eight more for next year. Oh, nice. Yes. Wow. Edible? I'm sitting here on their website. It's ecologybasedeconomy.org. It's the Edible Main Street Project. This is amazing. Yeah, they've done a really good job. They've got grant money for it. And I was out there recently because they had a fall food festival. Uh I looked at their boxes more closely because my boxes are a little bit smaller and I'm building them out of recycled wood. So they're not quite as fancy as theirs are. But they have this whole key off the side of each box is a sort of series of laminated index cards. And they have color pictures of what's growing, how you cook it, how you eat it, da-da-da-da-da. It's really very full of information. They also have, it's Scott's wonderful, because I've bumped into him three or four times since then, and he said, oh, no, don't do this. This was a mistake. And he's just so generous with, this is what we've done. This is what worked. This is what hasn't worked. Their first year, I think they're five or six years into the veggie box system. Right. He said the first summer, one box was in, like, Central Main Street. And it got devastated because everybody came by and everybody took care of it and everybody picked it. Now what they have are these really nice, colorful signs that they stick in it and they said, please don't eat me. I'm growing. (laughs) Give an idea for people to kind of kick back a little bit and let this box go for a little bit. Wow. How cool is that? So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. I wouldn't call it a failure because everything's a bonus. (laughs) Like that. First time I went gleaning was three years ago as a gleaner. I was just kind of investigating what's going on. And the food pantry director called me and I said, sure, I can help. So we went out to squash gleaning. Squash is, it's heavy. Oh, yeah. So we worked. I think nine or ten people showed up and we had big boxes and we were hauling the stuff out. Over the course of the day, we got 3,000 pounds of squash off the field which is great. But I got home about eh, six o'clock at night and I said, ah, that was not so much fun. My back hurt. Yep. So I said, ah, that, that didn't work for me. After that, the next spring, actually, we went down to, it's, uh, went down to Ellsworth, Maine, and there's an organization called Healthy Acadia. And they're about five years ahead of us. They've been doing this as an organization for that long. And there's a young woman there. She has a full-time year-round job of farm drops, gleaning, farm organization, pickups, the whole thing. And so we went with her. We gleaned with her for a day. And Hannah said, oh, no, two hours max. You're asking your volunteers to come in, bring them in, two hours, you're in, you're out, everything's a bonus. You feed them, you give them some water, you give them some snacks, and you thank you very much. And then they'll come back. That was the key. That was the mistake we made. And so now I only, people come in and, oh, Steve, I'm sorry, I only came an hour. No worry. It's an hour. It's a good hour. Right. Great, great. No problem. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is a big piece of it. We have to take care of those that are volunteering around us. That was a great lesson. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think my biggest success would be the growth of the whole network, the growth of the people that are involved, even though I consider that part of one of my big goals moving forward is to get more boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I 
just feel we could do better with less work. As an example, last fall, a year ago, there was a research, a potato research farm in southern Maine, and they had 60,000 pounds of potatoes to be gleaned. Whoa. So anyway, the gurus the glean, of the Maine Gleaning Network, they got a hold of this. He blasted out. I showed up, and I think there was like 18 to 20 people showed up. And we worked for three or four hours. I got 500 pounds of potatoes for Winter Food Pantry. Uh And more people came back. I think that was a Sunday afternoon. And more people came back on a Wednesday. So all said and done, between 12 and 15,000 pounds of potatoes were gleaned, which is great. Again, it's all a bonus. But my feeling is, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if 100 Boy Scouts showed up? Or wouldn't it be wonderful if, you know, 100 people from a nearby college showed up, each with a five-gallon bucket? What could 100 people do in two hours? They could just blast through this and everybody would go home happy. Right. Nobody has worked too hard and we have gleaned a lot of produce. So that's your dream? Yes, that's my dream. Perfect. So what drives you? I think the need for good food, good fresh food, because, for example, the local store here is so generous. They're very, very generous giving food to the local food pantries and the local soup kitchens. But that produce has been through the supermarket. It probably is, I would say, at least a week old. Mm -hmm even more, which is not a bad thing. It should be looked at. It should be gone through. It should be picked apart. It should be, you know, because you go to people food, then you go to animal food, and then you move on to composting. The stuff that I usually, I like to, I tell farmers, I like to glean Tuesday or Wednesday because winter food pantries open on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Pick it up and glean on Wednesday, bring it in Wednesday night. It spends the night in the cooler. It's given the next day. It's totally fresh. Nice. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, it's actually one of two books. They're a sequel. I consider them a sequel. The one I like the most is my favorite book of all time is Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. You just won the prize. You are only my second guest who's ever said this in 307 episodes. And that book changed my life forever. I read it in 1992. It is absolutely my favorite book of all time as well. So why is it yours? Because I think it's well-written. I think it gives a broad brushstroke of how our mindset of where we are, why we are where we are now. Yeah. It's just thought-provoking. I liked it so much. A friend of mine gave it to me, I think, in 1994, and I liked it so much, I actually went out and bought a bunch of copies. And in my chemistry class, I had students read that book. Yeah, I know it has very little to do with chemistry, but you need to read it. Yeah, it's a conversation for our listeners out there that don't know. It's a conversation between a gorilla and a man. And essentially, the gorilla is the teacher talking about how we as human beings have come to dominate the planet over the past 10,000 years. Is that... a good boil down of the book? I didn't realize, I didn't had never thought of agriculture, organized agriculture, as being so abrasive or maybe abusive yes. as it kind of is. So that was a, that was an eye-opener for me. Yeah. And if I could stick a piece in here, then my second book would be Story of B, also by Daniel Quinn, which is I consider it a sequel. Yep, it is. Which is the same, same similar ideas. Yeah, what he's really done in both those books is he's driven home 
how our systems have overtaken nature. And as my late friend Toby Hemingway always used to say, nature always bats last. I'm a big proponent of working with nature rather than against nature. And that's really what I think Daniel Quinn talks a lot of too. Yes. Regardless of what happens, nature will win. You can clear a field, you leave it, it'll take over. Recently, there was a documentary on Chernobyl. This is 25 years later. Nature is just kind of moving in and the windows are broken and the roof is leaking and it's just taking over. Yeah. Well, that's what it does. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say if you would get involved physically, emotionally, you know, show up, boots on the ground and start small and make sure what you do is successful. Nice. I think I might have said this earlier in our chat today. Things get done by people like you and I that say this is going to happen because I said so. For all of you listeners out there, take on that project and go out and do it and make it happen. Thoughts on that, Steve? Totally agree with you. There will be hurdles, whether they be political, social, financial. So what? Just kind of move forward. Say thank you a whole lot. Hugs are good. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Steve. You're very welcome. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and your organization? Well, I am a technological newbie, and my 32-year-old son says, Dad, you've got to get on Facebook. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. And he said, no, Dad, you really have to get on Facebook. So since a couple months ago, three months ago, I have a Facebook page, which is CMG Squared, Central Maine Gleaners Group. And I have a whole, I log on what I do, I have pictures, and it is quite simple. Perfect. You know what? That's that's all you really need these days, I think. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash main gleaners. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Also, please visit our website to find more articles, podcasts, webinars as we strive to be your urban farming resource. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.